I had mistakenly attached my success as a person to the job I was doing. So my success as a human being was not how my kids were doing, how happy my wife was, how happy I was, did I love myself? It was what job I say to people when they ask me when I meet them at a party. What's up, everyone? It's your boy, Danny Lopriori, and welcome to Off the Cuff. You might know me as the guy from the basement yard, Vine, the Lopriori podcast. And while I love to make people laugh, just know that I've struggled with my mental health for most of my life, just like many of you. Here on Off the Cuff, I will be talking with some of the most impactful influencers, athletes, celebrities, entrepreneurs, and mental health experts to have real, unapologetic conversations about mental health and breaking the stigma that surrounds it. This show is for you, and I'm so happy to have you here. Now, let's talk Off the Cuff. Welcome back to Off the Cuff. I am your host, Danny Priori. Today, I am joined by a former 2FM radio host. He's a playwright. He wrote his own play and he stars in it called Pure Mental. I mean, this guy is an Irishman, which I have a ton of questions about Ireland, to be honest with you. I can't wait to get into this conversation with him. He is Keith Walsh. Keith Walsh, how are you, sir? Very good. Danny Lopriore. I've been practicing your, your surname. Very good. Very good. I like to hear it in other accents. It makes it sound more important. Yeah, I was. I mean, I've just. I just think it's a beautiful surname. So I was like, "Lo Priore." It's good. It's a, it kind Thank of like you. It's, it's nice. It feels nice in the mouth. You know, it's like. It's like yeah, good, yeah, it does. Like a good wine. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas my is, name is, is. Like, my name is Keith Walsh. You know, it's very sort of you know. There's no. Yours is romantic. A strong name though. That's a strong name. Yeah. Thanks, man. And no one's ever said I, that to me Keith. before. I'm Keith Walsh. That's oh, a strong but, name. Yeah, almost like Viking, isn't it? Yes, very, very yeah. final boss. <laughs> very final boss. I'm getting emotional that you're saying nice things about my name. That's that's a bad sign. <laughs> this is going to be there's going to be a lot of crying. <laughs> no, no. Listen, I tell people all the time when uh, they listen to the show, crying is welcome. And you know, a big part of our thing is, and this will lead into my first question, is. I'm a big fan in men crying. I think if men cried a little bit more, things might help actually go a little bit smoother in life. I think, you know, we deal with this kind of toxic masculinity. But when I have people from different backgrounds, from different countries on the show, I'm more in tune with the American idea of like toxic masculinity. What is toxic masculinity like in terms of, you know, bravado and ego in Ireland. Like, I have an idea because we're Americanized and, like, you see, like, one episode of Peaky Blinders and you think you know everything about everything. But, you know, it's one of those things. What is it like as a young Irish man, you know, growing up from a boy to a man and dealing with your own masculinity? Well, that is quite the question. <laughs> That's a good opener. That's a good opener. We got We need an hour just for this question, Danny. One hundred percent. You see, I suppose it's interesting because you might, as an outsider, you might look at Ireland as this beautiful, green, mystical country, you know, full of sort of druids and people who are close to the earth and in touch with themselves, and you know, almost like, almost like hippies, maybe. You know, like if if a leprechaun isn't, you know, the original hippie, then I don't know what is. You know, <laughs> so like you could the wand- you could, happy wanderer. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that we were. I think there was a time where we were closer to probably like like most countries and most cultures. We were closer to the land. We were closer as people. 
We were closer to the elements. We respected nature more. We listened to Mother Earth, as it were. We were more in tune with our needs as people and our emotions and people's emotions and other people's needs and each other and community and all this kind of stuff. There was a time way back when in Ireland where we lived under a law called Brehan Law. And in that community, in, in that culture, in, the, under, in Ireland in those days, it was a matriarchal society. So actually the women were kind of, not that they were in charge, but they were more powerful within the community. It was matriarchal. They made a lot of the decisions. And actually a woman could get out of a marriage if she wanted to by deciding she wanted to get out of the marriage in those days. So so that's kind of Ireland, old Ireland, Celtic, mystical Ireland, you know, where we were warriors and, you know, we had uh, big dogs and, you know, we had <laughs> bears in the country and all the kind of stuff. But um, a lot has changed. And I think it probably started with, you know, England and the United Kingdom sort of taking over like countries like Scotland and Wales and Ireland. And we basically kind of became the land of Ireland became just more land for British royalty. So they would be given they would be given chunks of land, taken off Irish people. They'd be given chunks of land and that would be their land then. And they could charge rental and all this kind of stuff. It was called a plantation. The idea was that the Brits would take over. They'd all move over, kind of sort of move the Irish to the side a bit and take over the land. We had some beautiful land over here. We had the country was mostly covered in beautiful oak native trees. They were all cut down for shipping for the Royal Navy, you know, all this kind of stuff was going on. So we were quite set upon as a people. And a lot of people would say, like, I'm not, I'm not having a go. This is not about pointing the finger or right, you know, right, bashing right. the Brits around. But this is just history. it's history. It's history. Yeah. I'm talking about traumas. I'm talking about historical traumas. I'm talking about how we changed as a people and where we ended up. At the turn of the century, we we got some of our rights back and we became an independent country. So part of Ireland became independent. So you have 32 counties on the island. 26 became the Republic of Ireland and the six counties became Northern Ireland, the North of Ireland. And at that stage, when we became a republic, there was a fella, the president of Ireland, the guy who went on to become the president of Ireland, kind of took over and started running the country once sort of we took what we were ruling ourselves, decided that the best way forward for the Irish people out of being ruled by the Brits and, and having independence, the best way forward was to have strong religious beliefs, a strong moral guidance. And so he really aligned himself with the Catholic Church. So we became this republic, but very much run by, yeah, kind of run by the Catholic Church. As an Irish people, we were we were subjects of the church. So we had to respect the church. You know, it was sort of beaten into us, literally beaten into us. So we had teachers in school. We had brothers. And you probably heard of, you know, yeah, 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 Christ, sure. Christian brothers in America. You've probably seen the films about the abuse meted out by the Christian brothers and, and Catholic church within school. Oh, yeah. You know, it wasn't just in Ireland. We, we, we exported it. We were so good at it. We exported it. <laughs> and let me tell you something, the American Catholic church, you know, for the most part, took it and ran with it. I'll tell you that. <laughs> they ran with it. They were like, Oh, jeez. We, if they saw the, they saw a gap in the market, they saw an opening, <laughs> went, went for it. <laughs> and in, in a way as men, I don't really know why this is, but as men, we didn't stick up for our women folk. We didn't stick up for our wives and our sisters and our our daughters and our neighbors who were being who were treated this way. We we 
men were probably responsible for a lot of the abuse meted out to women in Ireland at the time. Women are expected by law. Like if you if your wife wouldn't have sex with you, you could go around to your priest and say, my wife won't have sex with me. And the priest would come around and go, you need to have sex. It's your duty to have sex with this man. Now, that didn't matter whether you were an abusive husband, whether you were a drunkard, whether you, because believe you me, with all the trauma we were carrying with us, we were drinking. Oh, yeah. Um, and we, we know, you know, the drinking and the fighting was a thing, you know, and that was a real thing because we as Irish men did not know how to handle our emotions. And the only way we could find peace from our own heads was was drink a lot of the time. Look, a lot of pe- people managed to get by without it. But there was a lot of I don't know if it's a common thing, but like out of the trauma of, of the 800 years of oppression by the English and then being run by the Catholic Church, we were like a traumatized country yeah, trauma, yeah. and we were taking it out on each other we had the church taking it out we had teachers beating children we had parents beating children we had fathers beating wives you know we there was everyone was kicking the shit out of each other <laughs> pretty much yeah yeah and it was all like the abuse was coming from, it was trickle you hear heard of trickle down e- economics this is trickle down abuse you know oh for sure and you know the beating started up here and you couldn't, a man probably found it hard to get respect on the streets or in work or in the workplace and, you know, brought that frustration home and took it out in his family. And talking about toxic masculinity, we, like, we, we wrote the book, you know, we weren't very good to, well, first of all, we, we didn't know how to be with ourselves and our own emotions because the things that are told, and it, I'd imagine it's the same in parts of American society, the things that are told to young men is, is man up. Oh yeah. Kind of pick yourself up, grow a pair of balls and just get on with it and stop feeling, stop feeling sorry for yourself. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's like, even in that situation. So like I live in New York city, right. And like Italian and Irish people built this city. Most of the stuff that's here, especially the pre-war stuff that's still around. Those were Irish immigrants and Italian immigrants. And I really feel that the generations are are not that far apart. So it's like you still have people in America that live by like these old Italian lifestyles, outlooks, especially when it comes to religion. Irish, the same thing. And, you know, it's almost like how you said trauma can almost be like exported and imported. So if you think of the Irish people that came here, just because they left Ireland, they brought obviously trickle down trauma here. There's little things in Irish culture like, you know, don't leave food on your plate. Like your mother will literally hitch, slap you. You know, I remember being a kid and sitting at the table and it was dark outside because I hadn't finished eating my turnip. But everybody wow. else, everybody else had left the table. And I feel like that, yeah, that's, that's that's that that's that real old school shit right there. Yeah. Because you really think about it, it's like our parents aren't that far removed from World War II, right? So if you really think about it, it's like our grandparents lived through some crazy shit. My grandparents that were in Italy at the time, like my grandfather was like trying to survive during World War II. Like that was a real reality for him, you know? And then when he came here, he was like battle hardened already. You know what I mean? And that's like you were saying to, to go to your point, the trickle down is it's like, how is this having to be hard and survive every day? How's that going to transfer into you being a father? Yeah. And it doesn't. And like your grandfather is going to America and he's, he's bringing that he's traumatized by what he saw. And he's, bringing oh, yeah. that tra- he's bringing that trauma with them. He doesn't know how to talk about it. A lot of the times you hear children or, 
grandchildren of people who are in the war, like granddad never talks about, he doesn't, he doesn't talk about it. The man's traumatized. He doesn't know how to talk about it. And this is what was happening. So all of these traumatic experiences that our grandfathers and our great-grandfathers and our great-grandmothers and our great were having were trauma. They didn't know how to deal with it. It wasn't dealt with. So literally that physical experience of violence and horror and whatever was passed on to children through violence and corporal punishment became like corporal punishment was all, almost seen as it was seen as a good thing in Ireland. Like, you know, spare the rod, spoil the child was a famous saying. So like whacking, yeah. a, chi- whacking a child with a stick in school was like the right way to go. Like this was, this was a, good, a good educational tool, you know, to get the beat that beat it into them. Yeah, just beat a kid up. He's like, how is it? Uh, you know, I got beat up a little bit at school today, but it's all right. It'll work. It'll work out. My parents would have, like you talk about you talk about domestic abuse. When you think about domestic abuse, you think about a husband beating a wife or, you know, a man beating his boyfriend or whatever, you know, but you don't think about parents beating children because parents beating children was like acceptable. But that's, we, we grew up, I grew up in a house where that was a form of punishment, where you were beat. Oh, yeah. Dude, my mom, my mom and dad slapped me around for sure. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, that's just like what it was. Like, if you messed up and it was bad, you got something. You were getting it. 100%. And, oh, yeah. And I do think that, so now we're in a, we're, it's literally it's basically peacetime kind of, you know, and us men have an opportunity to have a look around see what's going on, see what's what, go to therapy, yeah, you know, figure our sure. shit out, figure our trauma out, not beat our children because, yeah, we're, yeah. because we're actually just going to deal with our own trauma rather than taking it out on somebody. 100%. The guy down the road that you pay 60 quid to every time, he's the guy to take it out on, not your child, you know? Oh, for sure. I mean, and that's the other thing too. It's like, I think with the presence of mind as you know, things become more accepted throughout the world. You know, I think this generation, I'm 33, you're 42, right? I'm nearly 50, but thank you very much. You're nearly Dan. 50. Yeah. See, I had to take a guess. I had to take a guess. And you want to know what it is, is because I look at the hair and you still got it and it looks magnificent. I'm holding on to it, man. Yeah. <laughs> holding on to it. You got a great fucking beard. I'll tell you that. I'm over here, like you're telling a story about like trauma and stuff. And I'm like, that's great. And I'm getting mesmerized by how amazing your beard is, you know? <laughs> so I'm, I'm over here. I'm just like, yeah, I know that sucks. But that beard's fantastic. <laughs> so, so I'm, I'm 48. Thank you very much. I'm 48. You're 48. So it's like, you know, you're a generation above me. It's my brother who's my brother's 42. So I look at him as like, you know, an example of fatherhood and how he kind of evolved from my dad. So like, I got to see my dad be my dad. Then I got to see my brother be a dad. And now it's like, we get to cherry pick. It's like, all right, I don't want, I love my dad. He does these amazing things, but I don't want these two qualities. Then it's like, I love my brother, but like, maybe like there's two qualities like I don't want here. So like, thankfully I'm young enough to be able to try and like, mold the best version of my dad and then the closest thing to another dad was my older brother so now it's like all right how do i become like the best version and i think as time goes on and you know people will start to be more in touch with whether it's their feminine side i think a lot of people have to understand that men especially straight men i think 
as an overall, we're starting to become a little more in touch with our feminine sides. And I don't think it's horrible to, you know, people hear feminine and they think, you know, oh, you mean the gay part of you? Oh, well, what, what are you, gay? That's what it used to be. That's what it used to be. And as time is going on, we're getting a little bit better with that. And, you know, what you and I do for a living, right? So it's not, we don't live like the stereotypical life. You know what I mean? And, you know, it's a blessing. Like people will come up to me and say, I'm, I'm sure this happens to you. It's like, dude, like your job's like so cool. Like I would love to be able to do that. But we were talking a little bit briefly before this is our job never really ends. And it's so fucking stressful. And people, I hate to, because it sounds like we're complaining, right? People are like, oh, you get to do what you want for a living. And it's like, yeah, in a way that's true. But if I skip a day, it's almost like a shark. If, if a shark stops swimming, it will die. That's what our lives are like, you know? And it's hard for us to stay in touch with, you know, we got to have this hard nose. Like I'm an entrepreneur. Like I got to get up and get after it. Like today's the day. No one's ever going to beat me. Like I'm going to work harder than everybody else. And sometimes I, I'm like, nah, I just want to sit in my bed and fucking be sad. Like, let me just have a day. <laughs> <laughs> but then you deal with the toxic ideal of uh, being a real man, you know, be a man, be a man. What the, what the, f- I tell you, what the fuck does that even mean? Yeah. And I mean, it, there is a, like even talking about podcasting or the media or being involved in the media or creating content or whatever it is you're doing. Like there is a lot of, there is a, I've seen, and you'd be aware of characters, you know, sort of leaning into that toxic masculinity, you know, still trying to tell everybody that men are superior and women are there for men to use and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, it's worrying. It's the type of thing you need to talk to your son about and have conversations with. And because, you know, your kids are going to be on TikTok and Instagram and this idea that, you know, I'm, I wonder about how helpful this like masculinity and our idea of masculinity has been to us. I'm not sure it's been that helpful at all. You know, it's almost like, I feel like oh, at, some, no. at some stage, we just need to put down the masculinity and be people with feelings and stop worrying about whether we've got a vagina or a penis, you know, just relax. Yeah, it's true. true. And it's like, you know, when I first went to to therapy and I want to get into this with you, because it sounds like we kind of have similar stories in terms of therapy. One, therapy was not pushed much in my household growing up. You know, for us, it was you deal with it in house. We'll take care of it. You know, if something happened outside, externally or internally in the family it was like this is what we're gonna do you know we're gonna take care of it here let's not involve the principal let's not involve the teachers let's not involve the father let's not involve the church let's not we'll take care of it in hell but no one's equipped in the house to take care of anything so now it's like you know my mother's not supposed to be my fucking therapist it's not dealt with it's like it's like okay shut up about it it's it's like oh yeah yeah so we're, this is how we're dealing with it. We're not going to tell anybody yeah. what happened. Everyone's going to shut up and never talk to anybody about it ever again. And that's it. And you just carry that shit around with you for the rest of your life. Okay, that's cool. Because the belief was once you, like, you're only making it worse by talking about it. Oh, yeah, because you, you were afraid to talk about it. But the belief was, how is talking about it going to help? Just grow a pair of balls. Just man up move on move on was a great word you know move on and it was also like uh, it's nothing a good meal can't fix i'm just like what are you talking about dude my freaking gym teacher tried to do something to me at school today 
You know what I mean? I'm going to eat a sandwich and that's going to make it better. Like, what are we going to do with all this? And then when you, know, you got was, to, when you got to a certain age, you'd go for a, you might go for a few drinks. That would make it better. That's what it turns into. It mm-hmm. starts very, very young of as families internally, we would suppress all and repress all this stuff. And then you would fix it with small things, food. You fix it with entertainment, video games, other shit, you know, just, just to keep our minds off of like the real stuff that's bothering us then we get introduced to alcohol that's another way to deal with it drugs another way to deal with it sex another way to deal with it and we're dealing with all of these things that started from almost well not almost just ignoring the conversation of actually what's really going on and when i first went to therapy i was like damn dude there's a lot of shit from when i was a kid that really fucked with me and i was just kind of taught to be like you know pick yourself up you know dust yourself off and go on but i think the perfect thing that you said is families would always say we're gonna keep it in house and we're gonna work on it and you would never hear about it again there was there was no work ever done the only thing that we were gonna do is we were gonna forget about it that was it shut up yeah it was just shut up stop talking about it that was that was your therapy were you afraid to go to therapy yeah, because I think therapy meant you were kind of crazy. Yeah, something's wrong with you. The feeling I get in America, because in mainstream media in America, you'll, you'll there'll be a talk show host on and he'll be saying, my therapist, blah, blah, blah. You know, and that's kind of like a, it's almost like it's part of your, part of your growing up. You're going to need Vernacular. Yeah, yeah, you're going to need a therapist, just, you know, face facts, whatever. In Ireland, it's, if we talk, we talk about mental health in Ireland and I would consider myself a mental health advocate. So I would like to, you know, talk about mental health and look after your mental health and encourage people to go to therapy and use my whatever platform I have to do that, you know. But just the word mental in there with mental health, because in Ireland, there is a famous word that we use. Like if you're seen as crazy, people call you mental. Yeah. That guy's mental. I don't know if that's a, an American term, but it, your man's, your no, man's no, mental. No, no, it's, it's not. But like we see it in other cultures. So like that, so, you know, you see that in like Guy Ritchie movies. Yeah, it's completely <laughs> mental. That guy's completely <laughs> mental. He's off his rock. Yeah, 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 yeah. But mental is is the word that we use to describe somebody who is crazy, you know? And so to deal with your mental health was to be seen as, well, he's crossed the line of just being normal, one of us, like able to deal with everything and keep everything in house and and, and bottle everything up. And, ma- you know, <laughs> I, I can keep yeah, everything. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm a man who can keep everything bottled up, like my shoulders up, up at my ears, but I, everything's fine. You know, I won't need any therapy whereas once you it's like you cross that line and you start going to therapy and you start talking about mental health then you're kind of seen as like you've lost it have you has he had a breakdown is that why he's going to therapy is that so that's what i was worried about i was worried about what would people if i start going to therapy people start thinking i've had some sort of breakdown and they kind of are they going to treat me like i'm crazy and and will i not you know will i not get a job again and i used to work yeah. in, in radio i was worried about people not giving me a job as a presenter because they thought well he's a crazy guy he could he's liable to say anything you know he's, he could have a breakdown live on air right all these things and it was my wife actually encouraged me to go to therapy and i could not be more appreciative i could not love that woman anymore because of her encouraging me to go to therapy because it was hands down the best thing i ever did in my whole life and the only regret I have about going to therapy is I didn't do it when I was 15 or 16 or maybe Same. 12. And I absolutely cut it. Like, now, look, some things work for some people. 
may not work for other people, but I this like absolutely the best thing I ever did in my whole life. And I agree with you with that because just to go into it, because you almost had other coping mechanisms, right? Like you were an avid exercise, avid like watching every like calorie you ate. Like this was the way that you were like coping with a lot of stuff before you like mainly focused on therapy, right? Yeah, I tried everything. I tried everything until therapy was the only thing left because I thought I could control. I thought I could control eating exactly the right food. Like at one point I was training for a marathon. I was working on a breakfast show, which meant I had to get up at five o'clock in the morning. I was, I, I was training for a marathon. I enjoyed playing football, which is soccer. We, we got, so I was, I was playing that. I was going to the yeah, gym. Yeah, yeah. I was going to the gym like once a day. I was playing football at some stage. I don't know how, how I was training for a marathon. I was like, I was literally running away or trying to fitness the trauma out of myself. Like, I wasn't getting enough sleep. I wasn't. Yeah, almost killing yourself while doing it too. Yeah, and my wife was like, "Where are you going now?" I was like, "Oh, I'm going to the gym." Where are you going? I wasn't around for anybody. I wasn't present. I was just running, almost like running away from myself. At one point, I got an injury, which was like a, a bulging disc in my neck, which was kind of dodgy. This doctor gave me an injection into my neck so that I could run the marathon rather than me just going. I just won't run the marathon then. If my, <laughs> <laughs> is, is there a chance I could die? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, right, that was this my state of mind, and then everything just kind of like it. Actually, the trigger was that I was working on this breakfast show, which came to an end. So my bosses at the time said, "Well, look, you've been doing the breakfast show for five years. We're going to we're going to move on with a new team. You guys are, you know." And I could not handle what was on the face of it a very straightforward business decision. I couldn't handle the rejection. Mm. I had mistakenly attached my success as a person to the job I was doing. So my success as a human being was not how my kids were doing, how happy my wife was, how happy I was, you know, did I love myself? It was what job I say to people when they ask me, when I meet them at a party and how, you know, how successful that is, is like how successful I was, was like how big the show was or how, you know, and that was, that right. I had me and that job were, that was me. One and the same. Yeah. So so when it was taken off me, I was like, who the fuck am I? Like, what's left? Did you feel betrayed, like, by the studio after that happened? Did you have, like, a lot of trust issues, even, like, with your own self-worth and, like, your own self-talent? Oh, totally. 100%. Like, because, I like, who was I? Would I, like, and they were telling me that I wasn't good enough in my head. I wasn't good enough to do the show anymore. It was over. You had a nice ride. And actually, do you know what it was? It was, like, it was the imposter syndrome that I felt anyway ah. coming true. So I didn't really feel good enough to be there anyway. So actually they were just confirming what I thought about myself that I wasn't. So you were dealing with imposter syndrome for like the five years that you were doing the show. Yeah. Like, and probably before that, cause I worked in radio for like 20 years and then this, yeah. the, the national radio show was five years. So that was the big job, you know? So I didn't right. really, I didn't really understand how I ended up in a position where I was doing the big show, you know, that the show that everybody who gets into radio for does, but I somehow ended up there and I was like, well, I'm going to make the most of this while it lasts, you know? But that's all me. And I would always like be self-deprecating about it and, you know, take the piss out of myself and how, why I was there and how I got the job and kind of shit out of it anyway. But, you know, that's kind of part of the charm right. and all the kind of stuff, you know, that we do to ourselves. But I took it seriously and I, I worked hard at it. And part of doing that job and working hard, it was like keeping fit and making sure like crazy things. Because I worked for RT and they're they a bigger organization. So there's television attached to it as well. So you've got to work out and you have to look good. 
you yeah, know, you gotta, look, you gotta look good on TV. You gotta look good on TV. You've gotta be this. You've gotta be that. You've gotta, you know. So I was doing all the things. I gave it a hundred and twenty percent, and then when the rug was pulled from under me, I was lost. You know. In that moment, they kind of solidified everything you were thinking about yourself. Yeah, you fucking idiot! How did you believe that this wasn't the way it was going to end? You know, I felt like a fool. You know, and I felt, and there, it was the rejection and the fact that these they didn't want me anymore and all of that stuff. And I think probably it was my wife who said therapy. And I was like a bit reluctant at the time. But then I said, look, I'll go. I'll go. I, there was something in me that said, yeah, look, it's probably right. And I'd say I was probably could have been headed, headed for a breakdown if I hadn't started the oh, therapy. Yeah. Maybe I did go through some sort of like breakdown, realization, sure. change. Well, I always tell people it's like a breakdown necessarily like doesn't have to be like, oh, there he goes. Keith's going impatient. But you can have breakdowns that into a point where you're just not a, a good husband, you're not a good father, you're not a good friend to yourself or to your actual friends. Like these are breakdowns that are almost like in a way like a marathon, right? So the beginning when I talk to my friends that do marathons, it's like you're almost training for like different parts of it, right? You start like running slow to be able to like build endurance to run the first third of the marathon, right? Then you, like, you kind of build strength in running to be able to get through and keep a pace and do all that stuff. It's almost like a breakdown's like that, but it's just completely in reverse. Yeah. So you have this thing that happens. You're trying all these little things to fix yourself out of it, but it's not therapy. So you're trying all these other things to try and get it there and then to get to the finish line. But the finish line's not obtainable without therapy. I try to tell people this all the time. And I'm not here to ever push an agenda on people. I think, you know, to each their own, different strokes for different folks. But if you're not going and seeing somebody who is putting the time and the work to become professional and what's going on, I think as human beings, we still suffer with this almost syndrome of that we know how to take care of ourselves the best that we can by ourselves mm. human beings are not we're not made to live on our own if that was it we wouldn't have lived this long that's just not how it works but if you think back to what you said danny about dealing with stuff that happened we're going to deal with this in the house we're going to keep all of these secrets within these four walls and we don't talk to anybody else about it we grew up conditioned to believe that to express your feelings and to talk about how you feel is it's kind of like looking for attention. Oh, yeah. There's like, oh, this fucking guy cries all the time. Like, what's wrong with this fucking guy? He's off again. He's talking about his feelings. He's looking for attention. He's, you know, it's like you're feeling sorry for yourself. And that other thing of like, like your parents, probably your parents probably did the same. Well, what about your man down the road? He's, you know, they list out the four things that he's got that are worse than you. And you, you've no reason to feel bad. Sure, It could be worse. It could be such and such. And we, and I did that a lot. Like, even as I got older, my 20s and my 30s, I'd be comparing myself to other people. I'd be, if I felt down or upset or whatever, I'd be going, well, at least I'm not that guy. That guy doesn't have a house or whatever. I'm guilty of that too. It's almost like a mantra, like that I have to dip in and out of almost like there's somebody out there that's got it way worse. I struggle personally with that all the time because like I'm almost like offloading, like there's people with no power and shit. You know what I mean? Like there, there's people mm. with no fucking food. And then I'm over here. I'm like, dude, you're going to complain like that you're moving, like it's stressful, like to move. 
But like, it's moving is fucking stressful. But you see, it's relative. You need to just deal with your own shit. Forget like gratitude is one. Yeah, like, gr- like gratitude is different. If you're if you're approaching something and you want to sit down and you want to feel a bit of gratitude, and you want to go look at. I'm so grateful for what I have. I'm so grateful. I'm so. But you still have to deal with your shit. I mean, you can see what you have and you can be grateful for it. For sure. But to be a better father, to be a better partner, to be a better person in the world, to show up and to help make the world a better place, as it were, to be the ultimate hippie, you have to deal with your own shit. No, for sure. And that, that's where it starts. That's where if, if here's the thing about men, right? We take this thing where we say we're going to be the head of the household. We're going to be the head of this. We're going to be that. We're the providers. We're we're the caretakers. We're the defenders. But as the head of the household, you should also have your shit together mentally, because that's where the trickle down effect can be stopped. If the heads of the household are getting treatment, that's where it helps. Now it's your kids see that. Now therapy is not taboo to them. And then, you know, sooner or later, listen, man, we come and go. We'll be gone sooner than, than later. You know what I mean? In, in the grand scheme of the universe and the earth, right? My thing is like, listen, if the head of the household is showing, listen, we're going to deal with this and we're going to get help for this because I'm not equipped to do this. That doesn't make you less of a man. That makes you a strong person. We have to get this idea of like, be a man like we have to take our, our our gender out of the complex that we deal with this entire time it comes back to for me the catholic church in ireland they would take a young woman from a family if they thought she was pregnant so we used to have to keep so as irish people in ireland you would have to keep secrets from your neighbors because neighbors would tell on neighbors it was probably oh, similar yeah. in italy in commun- communist Italy, like everything had to be kept a secret. You couldn't talk about stuff. Oh, no, they would come get you in the middle of the night. If you read old stories about, you know, if people even heard that you were talking about the people who were running the country, they would come and get you in the middle of the night. Mussolini. Oh, yeah. They would come and get you in the middle of the night in these countries, mm. which is terrifying. You can't even speak about speak out on your own government. They didn't play it. They would come and get you. And no one would see you again. Go to some weird prison and stay there. So all of that stuff is, that's all, as you said, if the head of the household, first of all, needs to deal with the trauma and the head of the household is the, I mean, it's funny because in, in, in my house, in our house, the house I live in with my, with my two children and, and my, and my wife, it's like, there's four of us, there's four people, you know, there's not two adults, two kids, two people telling the other two what to do all the time. It's like, you know, how are we all doing? How's everybody? Where, how are we rubbing along? What do we need? What do we need as a family to help each other? It's not like, it's not like this is what you need to do next. This is what you, these are the grades you need to get. This is what you need to do when you go to university. It's like, it's sit down. It's like, what do you want to do? How do you, how do we make that happen? How does everybody has a say about how they live their lives and how that happens? You know, it's an ecosystem. It's not a hierarchy. There's not really a hierarchy. I mean, obviously there's times where you have to say, look, look you're still sure. 40, you're still 14. You can't be out drinking until midnight, you know. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah. You, you drink till 10 that's it but <laughs> so we kind of like try and treat it like everybody has a say and everybody gets to speak and no one person's voice is, is more important than the others and even maybe i try and be the dad sometimes and i probably get laughed at you know when i try and put my <laughs> foot down but if i'm being grumpy i'm called out on it if i'm the issue they'll call me out on it and if i'm not being reasonable i'll be called out on it and I prefer that. I don't want to be the dad that 
is being unreasonable and expects everybody else to do an unreasonable thing just because I'm traumatized and this is my how I, you know, something's triggered me and I'm taking it out on everybody else by being completely unreasonable. That's not a way to run a household. It wouldn't be a way to run a business. It wouldn't be a good way to run a country. We have it's to realize these. It's crazy. And, it ha- and we go back to toxic masculinity. This is how households are run by men who had trauma, who were triggered by things, who took it out on everybody in the house and, ex- and were completely unreasonable and then expected everybody to just turn up for mass on a Sunday morning smiling, you know, after he killed half. <laughs> that was the, the other thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's how it was. He bet the shit. He or the mother or the father bet the shit out on a Saturday night. Sunday morning, everyone turns up in their best clothes smiling at mass to tell the world what to tell the world. Everything's fine with us. We're cool. Sometimes it was in the parking lot. Well, t- I can't tell you how many times I probably got smacked before church. Going you'd be to like, you better stop, stop, stop crying before you get into the church and start. Some- <laughs> oh, oh, all the time. The big thing was, if you embarrass me in this place, stop crying right now. Stop crying. And I was just like, oh, wow. I was like, you know, and that's like when you're really young, you start to look at like crying, like, like as a weakness and all that stuff. I have a couple more questions. After this, after the breakfast show, and you're dealing with imposter syndrome, you're going to therapy, you're having these breakthroughs, what possessed you to write a play? Good question. Good question. As part of my, I went to see this guy called Luke. He's, He's my therapist, and he's a good guy. And I like to think of him as my friend now, but, you know, I still got to see Luke. For for a period of about a year to a year and a half, I was seeing Luke every second week, maybe every week sometimes. And he got me into doing things that I used to enjoy that I'd stopped doing. And one of them was writing. And I, I got into journaling. So every morning I journal and, and all that kind of stuff. And I also signed oh, yeah. up for a, write, a writing course. So I started I started writing with this writing course. I was being, I was being I was learning how to write creatively. And so as part of as part of that course, every week you'd, you'd have homework to do. You'd have to come back in with a, with a full sort of short story written. And I found that I was going to therapy and all this stuff happened, you know, and I was going to this creative writing course and I was coming back with these short stories and all of them were about me and mostly about my childhood and the shit that happened. So it ended up at the end of this writing course that I ended up with about 10 short stories. A typical white male right, just writing shit about himself going, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And then yeah, this yeah, happened, yeah. and then my mother did this. And so I just ended up with a bunch of stories, and I really wanted to do something with them. I wasn't sure. I didn't want to write a book. I was sort of, I had studied acting in college, which was one thing that I stopped doing because I just didn't have the belief in myself to continue doing it, more sort of imposter syndrome. So I did, I studied acting, I finished the course, and then I just didn't pursue it. So that was something with the therapy. I was like, I need to get back to doing the things that I really want. Like, you're trying to like fulfill the dreams your childhood you had for them. Do you, if, do you get that? Oh like, yeah, you know, for sure. For I'm going to sure. do that stuff for you. I'm going to, so it was all that to make them proud. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I'm going to make a young Keith proud. So, so I contacted a friend of mine and I said, look, can you have a read of some of this stuff and see what's in it? And she was a theater performer, director, writer. And she said, look, I think there's a, I think there's a one man show on this. I think there's a play and, and I think I can help you pull it together and, and write it up as a play. And that's what we did. And we, she worked with me and we we wrote a play called Pure Mental. And it's basically about me, but ultimately about a guy who has a midlife crisis. You know, life hits the, the skids or the shitter and, and he starts to just reflect on his childhood and 
the traumas, the things that sort of knocked the stuffing out of him and made him the man he is. And then it, there's a sort of moment where he's realized that he's dealing with the world through the eyes. You know, his, his, his view is tainted by these traumas. So that's mm. not how the, that's not how the world is. That's not how you need to be. You don't need to be this guy to uh, you just, you know, and learn to love yourself, all that kind of stuff. And contentment is much a much better space than happiness. You know, that's literally how it happened. And we ended up touring, doing 20 nights around Ireland just before last Love Christmas it. with the play. Yeah, it was, yeah. Love it. And, you know, it's. I think that's a, a great thing to actually expand on a little bit because I feel like in some ways, art is the best way to reach people a lot of the time. I think people need to actually, you know, there's so many times we go to the movies or we go to a play and it's almost, you look beyond the play, you see somebody up there performing and you get inspired by that to be like, you know, like, I want to do that too. Like I just did my first stand-up shows in New York and we sold out two shows on Broadway and it was, it was awesome. It was so fun to do. And it's like, you know, you look at yourself in that moment and I hope that you in that moment took in like the first show, I'm sure you were nervous as hell, but you know, for you to, you know, that's a, that's a huge, huge benchmark for you. And I hope you take time to, you know, really reflect on that and be like, you know what, as somebody who was dealing with imposter syndrome, felt like they weren't good enough. You went and wrote a play and you did it and you toured and you did the whole thing. That's a huge accomplishment. I hope you know that. Yeah. I mean, I I try, I mean, I still struggle with it sometimes, but it's there. It's fair. It's, it's a fact. One of the things that drove me to doing it was that like my issue when I lost the job was with, with the people I was working with. I was like, you don't, you know, I'm, I'm good. I'm and And so for me, it was like, well, can I prove that to myself? So can I create something myself? And that was sort of like part of what drove me as well. Let's just see, you know, prove it to yourself. Don't worry about anybody else. Do something for yourself and prove it to yourself. And that was kind of a big driver, but yeah, I mean, I, we're hoping to tour it again in, in January and, I actually, um, I've started doing stand-up as well, Danny. And awesome. Yeah, I've got my first awesome. uh, my first support slot. So my so a friend of mine, is he has like an hour-long show that he's touring with, and he invited me to do his opening bit. And uh, so, I'm, so I've got 20 minutes of material to do. Do it as much as possible. Do yeah. it as much as possible. Have fun with it. I always say, you know, now that I'm doing stand-up, it's, that was like my lifelong dream that, I had to have some other dream to actually get there because my self-belief just wasn't good. I never really believed in myself. I was one of those people that I would rather not do it than fail. But I never understood that the actual failure is not trying. That's the real failure is not trying. So that's, see, man, like I, I, and I do love to see people because I've been doing social media for over 10 years when I, uh, yeah, I was 20, 22, I'm 33 now. I just did my first stand up show at 33, and like I was like, wow, you know, it's age doesn't matter, it really doesn't. You know, like going out there 48, like that's such an admirable thing to do. You know, how many people are, would just be afraid to start doing comedy at 48 years old, 47 years old? Mostly me, but, yeah, I think- but I'm just saying that's why you got to stop beating, you got to don't beat yourself up, man. It's hard. It's easier said than done, but you got it, man. Yeah, and and but it's going back to therapy. Like I feel like in that moment, and this is like a lot of men, you know, come a cropper in their forties because oh yeah, they lose a relationship, a marriage breaks down, they lose a job, and that you you can go either way. Like, and I feel like because of therapy, 
I dealt with that in a way which meant that I went, my trajectory was positive rather than negative. Do you know what I mean? It just like it goes, sure, back, because, it, goes, it goes back to that, you know? And it's also like you're getting closer to death and shit. And, you know, it's like, I'm going to be old. My testosterone's dropping. I can't lose any weight. I'm growing fucking tits. You know what I mean? Like, this is like how it is. You know, that's what happens with a man, you know? And then, you know, you look on the flip side and it's like, women deal with way worse shit than we had to deal with oh 100 percent. i just want to segue into that before we wrap it up your wife where'd you guys meet how old were you and again i always love to see the flip side of people that are in what i'm doing like podcasting and and entertainment like what does your wife do where did you guys meet i want the whole thing well we're both so she's a little bit older than me. She's like three months, but that's, at this age it's important. She's 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 much she's much older than me. Uh yeah. we <laughs> uh we met in school. So like we've known each other since we were sixteen. Wow. Sixteen, seventeen, yeah. So we went to school together, we met, we sort of dated in Ireland. We said we went out, we went out for a while. And then we kind of went to went our separate ways and went to college. And then after college we met up. We met up again and kind of went traveling around the world together and settled down. We have a my daughter's 19, going on 20. She's in university. My son is 14, so we have two kids. And my wife, during lockdown, you call it lockdown. What did you call the pandemic? We called it the lockdown. Yeah, lockdown. So during yeah. lockdown, she she did work in retail. She had a great career in retail, you know, fashion, women's fashion. And she obviously the shops closed down so she had to do something so she started up her own business which is called i should give it a mention for any of the listeners yeah 100 percent. it's they're an irish-based company called nearly sisters so if you're in the u.s and you want to send somebody a gift you just go online nearly sisters and you've got all this beautiful it's all irish it's all sustainable it's all sort of they use irish crafters and makers so you're talking about like real beautiful irish wool blankets and how do you spell it it's nearly so uh, almost nearly N-E-A-R-L-Y. You guys got that thick-ass accent over there. Yeah, nearly. It's nearly. 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 And what what was it? N-E-A-R-L-Y. Sisters, all one word. S-I-S-T-E-R-S. Nearly sisters. So you can get like a bun. If you want to get a bundle with chocolate, with a nice rug, with, you know, mugs, some tea, some coffee. They've got all that stuff in there. I see some candles in here. Candles, beautiful candles. Amazing. What? I'm about to go I'm about to go off on here. I got a couple of birthdays coming up. So, well, it's amazing stuff and it's all Irish. It's all like, it's not like they don't go to uh, one of those, you know, websites in China. It's, this is all local right. crafters. Yeah, yeah. This is, a, this is not, not that I'm saying it's expensive stuff. But this is good quality stuff. This is like really good. This is some guy in, some guy with making mugs in the shed over in, in the West of Ireland, you know, by the sea. Like, this is beautiful stuff. I love it. So, they put that together. They're dealing with a lot of getting big, like, corporate orders and yeah she's um Dude, good for her yeah so it's great and, and that was sort of like you know we were, we kind of joke sometimes in lockdown i went to therapy wrote a play she started her own business you know so it wasn't a bad it, the pandemic wasn't the worst time for us you know good for her man i'm saying that sort of like you know and, and i should i always like to qualify that what i know it was a very tough time for a lot of people so for sure i like to be you know it's a well. i always even look at it too it's do you guys do marriage therapy? So couple. So we have done uh, a couple of sessions. We probably should do more, but we we do discuss a lot. We talk all the time. 
like literally about everything. We're very kind well, of open about stuff. I mean, obviously, there's moments where, you know, you're not always on the same wavelength. But I, I think we both believe that marriages and long work long term, if people are allowed to grow at different paces and and do their own thing and explore the world in different ways for you're not always going to be at the same pace you know yeah you're going to be thinking differently working and i think once you're two as we said like within the house there's four individuals like within the marriage there's two individuals doing their own thing having their own dreams wanting their own and neither should be holding the other back and i think that's you got to hold you know help each other out and respect each other and all that kind of stuff and respect what they want and and you know what each person wants out of out of life and it's not just about being a wife or a husband it's about being your own individual as well you know I love it. So for me, I'm about to get married in 2023. Do you have uh, any advice? Just keep talking. And yeah, I just think that really champion champion each other. Like I'm, I'm sure you do anyway, but really champion what, what it is your, your wife wants to do, you know, whatever it is, whatever, however crazy it might seem. And are you planning on having children or are you? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. yeah, and just share the listen share the, I, did, I didn't do i didn't do all this self-work to not you know you know yeah, have a kid, yeah, yeah, you know what yeah, i'm saying yeah. I, I put all this time in to be a better person and it's like i gotta get i gotta get something out of this. yeah 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 you gotta you pass it on I mean? as well you have to pass it on but yeah like just just be really don't expect roles have changed you know oh for Chip sure in yeah. with the work and 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 you know i think i think i think it's different for me now so but i tell i tell people all the time dating people like us who are like entertainers you know it's tough because our hours are weird and we kind of live like weird lifestyles and stuff, but there's never anything too crazy that my fiance could say she wants to do. She's like, Hey, I want to do this. I'm like, let's do it. You know? She's like, Oh, like I want to do that. I'll fucking do it right now. Let's go. You know? And she was like, Hey, I like, I want to, she, she started this little business where she was selling these, these clouds that she makes these clouds that light up and you can put them in your office and, she was like, no, like nobody would want this. I said, I'm going to put it on my Instagram. So many people bought them. So like, you know, it was one of those things. I'm like, if there's something you really want to do, all you have to do is convince me that it's what you really want to do. And let's go get this shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is how it is. Because we live this weird lifestyle where people probably told us, you know, growing up, I know my things like, Oh, that'll never work out. Like, nah, that, that's not. And then you start telling yourself that. I'm all for that. But I yeah. think the big thing that you said is the communication, as cliche as it is, it's so huge. It's just what it is. It's the biggest. It's the biggest part of any relationship. I know, like people are like, oh, what's the sex life like? What's this like? I'm like, dude, if you can't talk to your partner, it's over. It's like therapy. Everything comes from that communication. Everything, the sex life, the whatever, however. Oh however, yeah. However, what the barometer of how well your relationship is and how much sex you're having or whatever it is or how how be, is the barometer is how much how the communication is. You know? I say, fellas, you guys want to get laid, communicate. All right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You gotta yeah. communicate. You gotta communicate it up. Okay, be an open book. Share those feelings. And relationships, you know, you you work at them. You work at them. You put in the effort, you know. That's the key. Last question, too, is did fatherhood help you at all with your imposter syndrome? Or do you actually have some imposter syndrome, like, early on when you first became a dad? Like, oh, like, I don't deserve these cool-ass kids. 
Like, I don't know, like, were you just all facets of life, like dealing with like imposter syndrome or, you know, when you first had children, were you like, you know what? Life has a little bit more purpose now. I'll be honest with you. I don't know if it's the same for a lot of dads, but it took me a couple of years to realize that I had had that responsibility. <laughs> with my wife, who was like, she, there was, you know, it took me a couple of years to realize I had responsibility. I was still living like a like a single, not like wasn't. I was married with children. I was still like you know. I, I just it didn't click with me. Yeah, after it, yeah. But I was trying to do. I was trying to do all things. You know, I was. Tr- I wanted to go to the pub, and I wanted to be up early in the morning with my with my daughter. And you know, I wanted- you got the daughter in the sack, and you're at the pub watching the game, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or like me, me, like me and my daughter would be at McDonald's at seven o'clock in the morning because I'd be hungover. But I figured it out, and I suppose there's something in that. Like, don't if you don't get it. You know, sometimes it takes time, and maybe I'm just slower on the uptake or you know figuring stuff out. Yeah, but- yeah. My wife set me straight, you know, when she knew I needed a good talk and she was like, hang on a second, you can, you know, you can either hang around here or you can just go and live on your own, you know? So I got a bit of a wake up call at one point, but it can be difficult, like for, I suppose for the woman, she's in, under no illusion that she's just had a child and like, there's an immediate connection. Oh, Sometimes yeah. it can be a bit more difficult. We have to work at it, but we have to put that time in. We have to be willing to put the time in to work out, to create this bond. You know, I, I, I hear a lot from my friends that like, like straight away and and I got, I felt it with my daughter as well like I had an immediate bond with her but it was more like a pal yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. cool pal you know that I could pal around with and go to McDonald's you know at seven o'clock in the morning with but you know after a while I realized with that became responsibility attention you know listening being there being present you know not thinking about other things when you're with your children but as a I didn't have it all when my children like I didn't know exactly what I was doing when my children were born and I'm still learning to this day, you know, even though they're like one's 20 and one's 14, I'm still learning how to be a dad. And I think that's what you, you have to approach being a dad and a marriage. You're, every day you're learning how to be a husband. Every day you learn how to be a dad. And, and hope, hopefully you'll never stop learning because that's the best thing about it. For sure. And it's like, you know, you had, a, you had a daughter first, right? And now you have a 14-year-old son. And like, he's at that age where like, you know, he's going to like start becoming a dude. You know what I mean? That's just like that age where it's like, you know, he's the dude now. That's the only reason like I'm afraid to have a son because I feel like there's going to be like that, you know, that man stuff that that we were talking about early. You know what I mean? So it's like, I hope I hope I don't let that consume me if I have a son. No, but that's like your fears are based on your experience. For sure. Your reality of that situation is going to be totally different. Like my instinct is to tell my son to stop crying. I have to override that instinct and say and sit down and cry with them and tell him to let it all out and sit with it for a moment. But I have to override that instinct. That takes work. I know. That's not going to happen because you're going to there's going to be occasions where that happens, but you're actually oh, yeah. you're going to go like I did. I'll go back to my son and say, you know what? I was out of line there. I apologize. I shouldn't have done that. And I'll chat to him about it and I'll talk to him about it. And if I if I react in a way that isn't isn't cool or isn't friendly or whatever. I like, I'll have, I explained to him that that was totally me. I've been working for 12 hours. I'm totally tired. I just, I'm absolutely shattered here. I can't, you know, I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm taking out on you. And I, this is not about you. This is about me. And those, so the whole thing about trauma and thing, like, as long as you're talking, as long as there's communication, as long as you're explaining, as long as you're not like shouting at your child and letting them go away, thinking that it was their fault. I don't shout at my children, by the way. But you know what I mean. If you if you react in the moment in a, in a way that's un, in a little bit unkind or whatever it is, 
as long as you can stop yourself, take the time out to explain to your son that that was all you and not them, that's not a trauma for them then. Well, that's the thing. You're right about that because an apology and an I love you go a long way. Yeah, and, and you explain whatever happened there, that was all me. None of that was your fault. That was my mood, my tiredness, not what you actually did with that knife when you tried to stab the dog. It right. was me. It was my reaction. I was tired. <laughs> Maybe that's the thing. I'm like, you know, it's... um. <laughs> did that really happen just one of the things you know yeah, kids are I, fucking crazy I, man. But, you, kids but, are crazy. You, but somebody will tell you sh- you were right to shout at that child he was going to stab the dog you clean it up afterwards that's all it is <laughs> you can be kind yeah, we'll, 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 we'll deal with it in house yeah, you know let, what I mean? let him let the child stab the dog it's cool yeah He's he's he's, he's, he's acting, he's expressing finding himself. himself. He's expressing yeah. himself. <laughs> my son was just expressing himself. He didn't mean to kill the dog. It was art. So my last question, Keith, that I ask everybody on this show is: Are you happy today? I am today, actually. Yeah, yeah. And I mentioned it before, but I'm content. Mm. And I feel for me, it's much, it's a much strong. This could be to do with my trauma or whatever, but I feel like it's a much stronger. It's a much stronger statement for me to make is that I'm content. Like I can sit in my house, in my surroundings, completely comfortable, content with what's going on around me, content with where I am in life. And I love those days where I feel content, where I'm not chasing something, or I'm not upset because I don't have something, or I'm not looking at what someone else has, or I'm not where I'm just going, yeah, this is this is good. Life That's is good. one of the best feelings in the world when you can just let it go cold and you're just like I'm chilling. Yeah. It's, it's like the it. best feeling in the world. I love that. Also, Keith, where can everybody find you on the internet? What do you got coming up? More about nearlysisters.com. What do you got? Where can everybody find you? Make my life wonderful and uh, go to Nearly Sisters and just buy stuff because that would be amazing. That, that's all I want. I'm on I'm Instagram, so you can find me, Keith Walsh, on Instagram. I'm the Irish Keith Walsh. I have a podcast. I have a podcast called the Keith Walsh Podcast. Go give it a listen. All sorts of stuff on there. Some some of us about mental health. Some of us about great books you should watch and some interviews and with some interesting Irish people. That'd be great. And on if you listen to my podcast, you'll find out any information about shows I have coming up and stuff like that. So that's pretty much right. it, Danny. I love it. That's me. And then, uh, and then uh, will Conor McGregor win his next fight? Will he fight again? That's the question. I think he'll come back and fight. I think he'll fight again. I think he's got a couple couple left in him. Made so much money, man. He's just like, I'm, I'm good. Yeah, I feel like he, yeah, he'll fancy, he'll fancy one more. But I hope it's not against that YouTube guy, you know, or something. Oh, no, yeah, no, no. I hope it's not a weird fight. I hope he fights Diaz again. They do the third one, and then they they both retire. And just be like, that's it. I'm good. Yeah, fingers crossed. A lot of money. That's it. <laughs> For, as long and as yeah, those, it, as long as those guys make a lot of money, I'm happy. It's the truth. It's the truth. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Keith Walsh. I had to say your name again, Strong. It's a strong name. Thank you so much for taking the time and coming on Off the Cuff with us today. Thanks for joining me on another episode of Off the Cuff, presented to you by 101 Life. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and send us some love with a review. And don't forget, we're all in this together and you're never alone. Peace. Fate Entertainment. Ah!